Let me invite you now to grab your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll continue our study of Hebrews 7. And while you're finding that, um, I uh, want to make you aware of something real quickly. Um, guys, I, I know that I'm not the only one that is concerned about um, our, our world, our nation, our city. Um, things have happened in the last few days where that uh, it's concerned us all. And so we're in that political process, and I told you last week that we um, invite candidates to come meet you, and you meet them. This morning, we're privileged to have among us the county mayor, Mark Luttrell, and his wife are with us. Uh, Mark, where are you? Uh, and would you, why don't you stand up there, Mark, so that people can throw something? I mean, uh, see you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Pat, for coming. And there, there, guys, um, I say that in jest, but I, I know that you've got concerns. And Mark is here. Um, he's running for the United States Congress, as you know, uh, a very influential spot in our, in our form of government. Go talk to him. Go meet him before he leaves. Go ask him your questions. Go, go find out what's going on. Stop him in the, in the, in the lobby out there and and see if you can't uh, introduce yourself and find out more about who he is and what he stands for. I, it w- he would love that, and I think it, it would uh, inform you as we try to become uh, intelligent voters. So there's a lot of anger in this country, guys, as you know. So find out um, what Mayor Luttrell holds dear. Uh, this is your chance. Now, um, you follow, as I read, uh, another portion uh, in this, this book of Hebrews. Gang, I'm going I'm to read uh, verse 26 through verse 28. You follow uh, in your copies. Um, from this book, which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, it's the, very, it's the very mind of God as black words on a white page. So you follow as I read a portion of it. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Now, guys, let me first tell you or um, assure you that I don't expect you to remember anything that I said a year ago. Um, But about a year ago, we were studying the book of Nehemiah. You may remember uh, some of it. And um, uh, to teach you this passage in Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to take you back to that book, back to the book of Nehemiah that we looked at a year ago. And then I'm going to add to Nehemiah, I'm going to add something out of the book of Leviticus. Um, I'm going to do just like this author does, the, the author of Hebrews, He uses the Old Testament to teach the supremacy of Christ, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to try to take you to the Old Testament and show you uh, how to understand 
what's being said in this little passage here in, in Hebrews chapter 7. So stay with me. Gang, um, I even brought uh, another Bible. I brought a second Bible with me to make my point, and, and I'll, I'll tell you about that when we, when we get there. But hopefully uh, what I'm trying to communicate will be marvelously clear. So let's begin by, let me begin by inviting you to go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is in front of the Psalms, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So that should help you find it. Nehemiah, as I said, we studied it about a year ago. Um, that's where I want to start. So go there. Now, gang, I'll, I'll say it again. I don't expect you to remember anything that I said a year ago about the book of Nehemiah. But here's one of the things that I did say back when we were studying Nehemiah. Old Testament history, considered chronologically, um, ends with the book of Nehemiah. Now, I, I've told you on numerous occasions in the past, the, the Old Testament is not arranged chronologically. It's arranged thematically. But if you were to place the Old Testament on a timeline, the last book, the last story in the era of the Old Testament would be the story of Nehemiah. After that story... Um, you get a 400-year period of silence, which is called the intertestamental period, and then the Old Testament opens. I mean, excuse me, the New Testament opens. So you have Old Testament, Nehemiah. 400 years of silence, New Testament. Now, the book of Nehemiah, another thing that I tried to point out a year ago, is that the book of Nehemiah ends on a note of failure. It ends with a giant thud. Okay? Now, let me tell you about that failure. To do that, you need to go to the 8th the chapter of the book of... Are you there? Nehemiah 8. Now, in Nehemiah 8, the, 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 that chapter is describing a worship service. A great big worship service where all of the, um, the returnees to Jerusalem gather... And they have this big worship service, um, lots of religious fervor and fanfare. There's some uh, serious commitments that are made in, in Nehemiah 8. There's some vows taken. There's oaths that are taken and confirmed on signed documents. In, in, the, in the words of Elvis, there's a whole lot of shaking going on in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. A whole lot of religious fervor that's taking place in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, before this book is over, that is five chapters later, before the book of Nehemiah is over, all of those commitments, all of those oaths taken, all of those signed documents have been forgotten. A lot of things taking place um, in chapter 8, but by the time the book ends in chapter 13, all of that is over, forgotten, swept aside, and the, and the book ends with a giant thud, a, a note of religious failure. Now, if you're still in chapter 8, I want you to see something. Um, verse 2. Uh, everything that's going on here in this religious 
worship service in chapter 8, it says in verse 2, it all takes place on the first day of the seventh month. Do you see that? This worship service begins on the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. It's a month that is known as Tishri. And um, <clears throat> a whole lot happens in the seventh month. In fact, it is said by many, by most, that the seventh month, the entire month in, in Judaism was considered holy. But the, the, the opening of the month, of the seventh month, on the first day of the month, was a festival known as the Feast of Trumpets. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah 8, day one of the seventh month, Tishri. They are observing the Feast of Trumpets. And so they would take these trumpets and they would blow them real loud. And, and, uh, and it, in, in essence, it was a symbolic cry to God, don't forget us. Don't forget Israel. That was day one in the month of Tishri. Now, if you'll read on in Nehemiah chapter 8, you'll come down to verse 14 or so, and you'll notice that they're studying their Bibles. They're very interested in finding out what the Bible has to say. And somebody comes upon the Leviticus 23 where it says, on day 15 of this month, we're supposed to spend our time in booths. Uh, do, you, do you see it? Uh, verse 14, uh, that the people of Israel should dwell in booths. So they say, listen, there's something else we need to do, you know, the Feast of Booths. And so they do that in verse 16 of Nehemiah 8. Are you with me? Day one, Tishri, Feast of Trumpets. They're reading their Bibles and they say, ah, there's another feast on day 15 through day 22 where we're supposed to go out and build ourselves these little temporary shelters, live in those for seven days, reminding ourselves of our temporary wanderings or our 40-year wanderings in the wilderness. Do you see that? That's what takes place in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, guys, keep your finger in Nehemiah 8 and go back with me to um, Leviticus 23. And that's why I brought this Bible. <laughs> I'll show you in a minute. Leviticus 23 is an, an outline of all of the festivals and feasts and convocations that are to be observed by Israel in any calendar year. Here are the things that God expected and set aside as holy convocations for Israel. Are you with me? Notice it opens with the Sabbath in verse 3. And then you go to verse 4, and it's the Passover. Now, drop down to verse 23 of Leviticus 23, and there it is. The Feast of Trumpets. Do you see that? Verse 23. It's in the first day of the seventh month, just like Nehemiah 8, Feast of Trumpets. Now, uh, you go over to verse 33, and there's the Feast of Booths. Um, you know, 33, 15th day of Tishri, everybody's supposed to spend uh, their, their, this week in, um, in a booth, in a temporary shelter. Right there, all of the convocations of Israel. In fact, <clears throat> um, in this Bible, that's why I brought it, it's got a little chart at the bottom showing you all the feasts and festivals that Israel is supposed to observe in a calendar year. Now, are you ready? 
in between the Feast of Booths in verse 23, excuse me, the first Feast of Trumpets in verse 23, and the Feasts of Booths in 33, there was to be another convocation. See it? It's in verse 26. The Day of Atonement. The biggest day in the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur. The high and holy day of Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement. High priest in all his garb goes back in the holiest of holies. He takes blood, the scapegoat, the the atonement, and the addressing of Israel's sin. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, in the month of Tishri, it opened on day one with the Feast of Trumpets. It closes out the month in day 15 through 22 at the Feast of Booths. But in between those two, on day 10, was to be the Day of Atonement, the biggest festival in all of the Jewish calendar. Um, Now, gang, here's my point. Go back to Nehemiah 8. And this big old worship service breaks out. And Ezra calls everybody together and says, on the first day of Tishri, we are to have the Feast of Trumpets. And then someday somebody's reading their Bible and says, well, look at here. We're also supposed to live in booths from days 15 to day 22. And so they go and, and they do that. Day one, trumpets. Day 15, booths. All in Tishri. Seventh point or seventh month. But guys, also in the seventh month, they were to observe the Day of Atonement. The day where sin was addressed. But in this worship service in Nehemiah 8, you find trumpets, you find booths. But they skipped atonement. They didn't have a day of atonement. They went straight from trumpets to booths. In the month of Tishri, there were supposed to be three festivals. Trumpets, atonement, booths. They skipped the Day of Atonement. They went from trumpets to booths. Why? Why did they skip the Day of Atonement? Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, in this in this period of heightened spiritual awareness. They have enough spiritual integrity to realize that you can't observe the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. Unless you have a high priest. We don't have any high priest in Nehemiah 8. Oh, we got a priest. We got Ezra. But he's more of a scribe than he is a priest. He's not a, he's not a high priest. Gang, all of those commitments that they made, all of those oaths taken, 
All of those vows that they made, they're long gone, ladies and gentlemen. I can take all of the oaths I want to take. I can take all, make all the commitments until I'm green in the face. But none of them will do me any good. Unless my sin is addressed. And I can't address my sin. Unless I have a high priest. And so the book of Nehemiah ends with a giant thud. And this plaintive longing on the part of Israel. Will there ever be a high priest who will address my sin permanently? Yes. This one this one that's described in Hebrews chapter 7. Guys, as far back as Adam and Eve, there was the recognition that there's something got to be done about my sin. And so Adam and Eve decided, we'll try the fig leaf option. And that didn't work out so well. And so they said, okay, how else can I deal with my sin? The fig leaf option didn't work. And there isn't a high priest. Don't even know about that. So here's what I'll do. I'll deal with my own sin. I'll pay for my own sin. I know how to address my sin. I'll just, I'll just pay for it myself. I'll work for this. I'll earn it. I'll, I'll be a good boy and girl. And I'll, and I'll pile up these massive amounts of, of good deeds. And I'll set those right next to that, that pile of bad deeds in the hope that the pile of good deeds will outweigh the pile of bad deeds. So that somehow the the scales will, will tip in my favor. And ladies and gentlemen, over the course of human history, that is the option that is most appealing to a fallen man. The fig leaves won't work. And I don't know anything about a high priest. And so, I'll be my own priest. I'll pay for my own sin. And that option hasn't worked out very well either. It never has. It never will. And in the midst of that plaintive longing, is there a high priest? 
that will permanently address my sin? This one. Look at the text, guys. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 7. It says, and it was indeed fitting. Fitting! This high priest is fitting. He's appropriate. And then, then the author of, of, the, of the book, whoever he is, he goes on to describe why he is fitting. Look, we should have a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Guys, I could take a lot of your minutes and I could take all five of those Greek words and I could try to tell you what the Greek words are and tell you the, the, the subtle nuances of each word. But I don't really need to do that. Because ladies and gentlemen, you take those five words and you add them all up and they all say one thing. Sinless perfection. A high priest who was finally fitting. And from there the text goes on and says, Oh, verse 27, he has no need like those other priests to offer sacrifices daily. Oh, no, no, not that. For his own, uh, that is, he's, uh, the other high priest is offering for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since this other high priest, whose name is Jesus, he did this. Once for all. Once and for all. He doesn't have to do it daily. He, he's, he's not offering sacrifices for the people's sin in his own. No, no, no. He's fitting. He's holy and, and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. There's a, there's a perfect sinlessness to him. And this high priest, this sinlessly perfected one, makes one sacrifice, one time, never to be repeated. It doesn't need to be repeated. And what was that sacrifice? Look at it. He died once for all when he offered up himself. Ladies and gentlemen, salvation was his to earn, not yours. And, and, and for this privilege, this high priest volunteered, volunteered to do something that the blood of sheep and goats could never accomplish. Sheep and goats who, by the way, were dragged to the altar. This high priest goes willingly. Ladies and gentlemen, the entire Roman army couldn't have nailed him to a tree without his consent. He goes to this tree willingly. To do what? To offer himself. Not for himself. But for me. He shared in my humanity, but he did not share in my depravity. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian gospel makes this announcement 
Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. The gospel doesn't offer you advice as to how to reform your life. The gospel makes an announcement. And here's the announcement. Sin has been paid for. How? By whom? He offered up himself. Guys, um, there is no merit that you can bring to God to satisfy his inflexible hatred of your sin. And to do that, or to try to do that, is to spurn the accomplishments of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Guys, for you to try and function as your own priest, paying for your own sin, is to look at this sacrifice and to say, I don't need that. I don't want that, thank you. I'll save myself. And I must inform you, ladies and gentlemen, that there is nothing more wicked. Nothing more wicked than to say to God, I don't want, nor do I need, your Christ. I'll save myself without him. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we, we tend to think of rape and abortion and, and serial homicide as, as being wickedness. And it is. Terrible things. But the wickedness of all wickedness is to say to God, I don't need nor do I want your sacrifice. I don't need a day of atonement. I'll pay for my own sin. That day of atonement stuff, that's for bad people. And I'm a good person. Oh, oh I'll... I'll take the day of trumpets. And I, and I kind of like that whole idea of the feast of booze, you know, living outdoors for seven days. How fun. But I'd just as soon skip that day of atonement. That day of atonement that addresses sin. I don't need that. I'll save myself without him. Nothing. Nothing, ladies and gentlemen, is more wicked than that. And if that is the option that you choose to face eternity, 
your story will end just like the story of Nehemiah. With a giant thud. An eternal failure. The gospel, ladies and gentlemen, offers you a high priest. This one. The one who didn't offer a sacrifice for his own sins. But did this once and for all when he offered up himself. That's the only high priest available, ladies and gentlemen. Take him. Father, I do pray that you will remind us that, that there is a sin problem separating us from you and that the only thing that will adequately address my sin problem is a high priest and I'm not him. But there is one. There is a high priest that you've made available to those who see how desperately they need a sacrifice for their sin. His name is Christ Jesus the Lord. The one who lived the life that I was supposed to live and then died the death that I was supposed to die. And in Christ, my sin is paid for when he offered up once and for all himself for the likes of someone as undeserving as I. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior of ours, would you open their eyes to see how, how foolishly they are living out their lives, living out their lives without a high priest, and point them to the one, the only one that exists, Christ and him crucified. We pray, of course, in that name.